the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I do appreciate it. I know that you've got options and, quite honestly, financial shows on a regular basis. Probably not the sexiest, but I pledge, if you listen, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you get to retirement. So, at age 60 to 100, you could do things like be the coolest grandparent ever and have $5 bills in your hand to surprise your grandchildren. Or pick a hand. Both hands are winners. Or travel. Or go see your grandkids in college and go be the cool grand old person, right? Um, that's the goal of the show. Now, it doesn't always happen this way. Sometimes I get massively sidetracked. That's pretty normal and pretty much so on par. I try to sometimes tie A to B... And sometimes it works really well, and sometimes, it, quite honestly, it doesn't. Women are different than men. Women live longer than men. It's a big concern, especially since men tend to like to date and marry younger women. And then after divorce, men definitely aim younger, because it makes them feel young again. Whatever your gender, you'll encounter a lot of barriers on the road to retirement, but women more so than men, because they live longer than men. The average man participating in a defined contribution plan maintained by a brokerage account has 121000 saved. The average woman has $78,000 saved. Now, again, that's not even close to retirement money. That's poop and giggles kind of money. That's not big do re me. You need a million dollars to get to retirement. Because at least at that point in time, you can live off $40,000 a year while draining your money down. $121,000 saved by a man, that's going to last three years in retirement for most people. So women are different than men. Women are going to live a lot longer. They're expected at this point in time, if you're 65 years old, you're going to live to 86.6 as a woman. A man's going to live to 84.3. Factor in a couple things like obesity and family cancer and heart disease issues, which sucks. Every now and then I have to get new life insurance, and they're always like, did your dad die of cancer? Or did you, any of your relatives have cancer? I'm like, yes. 
Any of your relatives have a heart disease, a heart attack? Yes. So automatically, anytime I go to get life insurance, I have two strikes against me. And they're like, what do you weigh? And I'm, if I'm five pounds over, like ideal, they're like, three strikes, you're paying a premium, super premium. Another reason women have to think differently than men is women don't make as much money as men do. Women save for retirement more aggressively than men at a rate of about 6% to 12% higher. But because they earn less, their efforts add up to a smaller nest egg. Start saving as soon as possible is the solution for this. If a 25-year-old saves just $286 a month, getting an 8% return, she'll have $1 million by the time she's 65. If that same 25-year-old woman can bump it up to $573 a month, she'll have $2 million by 65. Now, $2 million, now you're starting to talk about retirement. You're talking about $80,000 a year of income. Social Security will pay for your health care, essentially. You're still going to have big expenses in there, like cars from time to time. Women tend to express little confidence in their ability to invest. You never learned how to invest it is a common, common theme I hear from women. 55.3% of women identify their knowledge of financial markets and investing as being below average. You've got to educate yourself by listening to shows like this, reading the Wall Street Journal, get in a magazine like Kiplinger. Yes, yes, the slow crockpot cooking magazines are wonderful. Yes, yes, the Guardian magazines are great. I personally love reading Jugs magazine because I like learning about 16th century Byzantine pottery, but I do keep up with financial magazines. I like Barron's on weekends enormously. I get in my big tub, throw in some oil, some lavender, and uh, I soak. And while soaking, I'll read Barron's magazine. I know. Isn't that like kind of a zooby zooby zoo? Like, isn't he really cool and sexy? Kind of am. Me in a hot big bathtub, reading financial magazines called Jugs. Uh, the best part about this, as a man or a woman, you don't need crazy. You may thrive on crazy, but you don't need it. You need index funds to build a balanced, low-cost portfolio. If you need a list of no-load managed funds, magazines like Kiplinger publish them all the time. Kiplinger. Ticker, no, not Kiplinger. Kiplinger. It's K-I-P-L-I-N-G-E-R. Uh, even if you just read the website, don't do it all soaking in a tub because then the computer falls in the tub and you die. Or at least in the movies you do. Typically, that'd probably be short and that'd be okay, but in the movies you die. Another mistake that women make is that they tend to rely on their husbands to make the financial plans. My mom is guilty as charged of this. An overwhelming majority of wives still defer to their husbands when it comes to money matters. Only 27% of married women report taking control of their financial and retirement planning. Uh, almost 40% of women over 65 are widows. Whoa, I've always thought of women the wrong way. I've always thought, wow, look, she's younger. She'll go for the financially secure dude. I should be looking at women over 65 and going, wow, she's probably single. Make sure you play a prominent role in understanding finances in any relationship you're in. Quit being passive. Have a once a month, let's go over our money issues and end with a glorious massage. Make it fun. Make it sexy. 
The two can work together. When you're talking assets, incomes, investments, expenses, and debts, oh, 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 that's again, it's a zooby, zooby, zoo thing. As a couple, it's up to you to figure this out. Uh, I've got this secretary. Uh, I, I guess she answers the phone. But it, I don't have a secretary. At Cron, she answers the phone for people and she routes people the right direction. Am I allowed to call someone a secretary? Or is that a demeaning term in this day and age? Like, I don't even know. So she's 65, I'm thinking. And I told her. Um, she was asking me about Social Security. Because like, you can take it at 62 and get less Social Security. You can take it at 65 and get what you earned. Or you can take it at 70 and get more than what you earned. And there's something called file and suspend where you take it at 62. You don't actually get a check sent to you. But if for some reason you need it, they'll send you a big lump sum. And you actually do start taking it at the 62-year-old age thing, right? Couples need to talk about ideas like this. Because, you know, I know a person who her parent, her dad retired early. And, you know, they look at Social Security as like free money at 62. Oh, no, 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 no. It's more money at 65. It's even more free money at 70. But if you take it too early, you're locking yourself in for life at the lower level. Oh, women, 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 and the mistakes they make financially. They take time off to raise those children. It's crazy, but it strains their finances to do that. According to Women's Institute for Secure Retirement, caregivers, 69% of women, are estimated to lose more than $300,000 in secure, uh, $300,000 in lifetime income. you got to ret- maximize retirement benefits, especially if you're going to have children. Having children can be expensive to raise from zero to 17, but even more importantly, going to Cinema College, even more expensive. It's like half a million dollars per kid. But don't sacrifice your own financial future. Out of focus, focus, focus. I'm not black. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money. more. When I see articles about things like big U.S. cities show bigger income gap, if I'm a younger person, I'm going to look at that and go, okay, what cities have big income gaps? Maybe I want to move to there. It's a really odd thing to say, but you're looking for cities that are young and vibrant, that are able to have economies that can create wages and increase those wages. You know, Seattle, Cleveland, Jacksonville, Louisville, San Jose, pretty big on the list, all things considered. Now, Colorado Springs, Miami, Houston, Omaha, you probably don't want to move to Stockton if you're trying to start a career or trying to find a man or find a spouse. Speaking of which, let's go to Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. Welcome to the show, Tony. Good morning. Good morning. What you got for me today? 
Oh, uh, mortgage rates continue to stay pretty low after the Fed meeting and announcement they had on Wednesday. So that was some pretty good news that uh, we didn't see a big spike in that. But, you know, kind of like a reprieve throughout the summer. So good news for buyers. Um, but, you know, it's interesting that you talk about people that are going out and choosing places to go and, and live and where there's good jobs and a place to start a career. Uh, definitely the Bay Area is one of them. It's just one of the challenges that these young people are facing is the affordability. Um, and I, I was on the show last night talking about how places like Danville or, or that 680 corridor, 17% of the people that of median income can afford to buy house, the median home price in that area. It's 11% in the peninsula. So it's a little difficult to buy a house in the Bay Area. It's interesting to note because I think buying your first home and not paying some rent is a great concept if you can afford it. And what you're yeah. saying is that fewer than 20% can afford it typically around most regions of the Bay Area, and yet we all yeah. want to do it. One of the interesting angles that some some of these analysts have taken is that we're, we're watching ramps go up as well. In, in fact, some of the places in the Bay Area are on the, on the top of the list as far as the percentage of your income that you spend towards rent. I think San Francisco is like 46%. San Jose is in the 40-something percent range. So it's pretty high. And, and you, you can almost take that number and say, you know, you can't even qualify for a mortgage if you're spending that much money on rent. But what the, the angle they're taking is that if you if if we have a society that can afford these high rents, that means they can afford high mortgages. Except that the rents here still haven't meet or met the level of what a mortgage would be. So it's it's kind of good news knowing that there's a, a category of people that can afford the rents, but we still need to get up to that level where they can afford mortgages. Got an email from a friend of mine who appraises houses. <clears throat> worthy of sharing. He said, during February and March, Oakland's kind of the market. You can make an instant $100,000 in equity when you close or even more. It's truly amazing how fast things can move. I'm very bullish on Oakland. My niece works as a city manager. Housing prices doubled in Emeryville under, every year under her watch. Uh, no, no. He says, housing prices doubled in Emeryville under her watch. What's interesting about that is Oakland is probably exactly where I would be looking right now if I want it to be close to the action and not, say, go all the way out of the 680 corridor and I want it to be closer to San Francisco or I want it to be closer to Palo Alto. It's, it's the areas that have been, quote, unquote, undesirable on some levels because of the poverty that was you know, uh, living in that area. Same thing with San Francisco. Mm -hmm. The areas that I would be looking for right now are the, the Tenderloin. Like, I'm looking at the, the areas that have appreciated the least due to the clientele that live there. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, we've, we've certainly watched places like Oakland and other parts of the East Bay do very well because of that desire to stick in the immediate Bay Area as opposed to going through the tunnel or going, you know, over 580 uh, or even south or up, up 80. I, I remember when I first moved to the Bay Area in 2005, I highly considered working up in the we're living up that 80 corridor, but wow, when I tried to go through Berkeley to get into work, it was it was awful. Um, and I think that maybe that's what people should do is just take a drive up up you know through the tunnel during rush hour, one way or the other, um, or over 580 and say, is this what I want to do every day? Or take the bark in every day and is this what I want to do every day? And then you might start considering places like Oakland. And I think that's why um, we've really seen that resurgence in 
you know, that inner city area that, uh, right next to downtown. Um, a lot of condos went up, a lot of little bars and restaurants and a lot of the amenities that these uh, these new home buyers want. And then up in the hills, the, you know, there were some homes that were just affordable. Uh, yeah, it's right next to the highway, but, you know, they're nice communities. And we started seeing a really these you know, communities. We saw a whole bunch of sales just boom, right out of the out of the blue, just um, hit the market in that four to five hundred thousand dollar range. Uh, it's interesting to see that Alameda's home price, home median price, is still under the median price average here in the Bay Area. It's interesting so it to know that in my neighborhood, I have a phrase that an old woman dies, a family of four moves in. <laughs> in in Oakland, you may say something like, if a coffee shop opens up, a hipster moves in. Because, like you said, it's an amenity. It's you have to have a hip, cool coffee shop, not named Starbucks. Young people hate Starbucks, even though they're willing to do Starbucks when their friends aren't looking. They still hate it. Um, worthy of note? Yes, no. Like you said, it's all about the amenities. I I would never, ever, ever, ever live through the tunnel of 24, because last time I was on the other side of that tunnel, uh, coming home 10 o'clock at night homeless person gets hit in the middle of the road. I know you're saying in the middle of the road. Yes, a homeless person in the middle of the road on 24 gets hit, and the road was shut down for 24, uh, for two hours. Uh, driving is, is my amenity. The other day. Driving is my amenity. Driving is the most important thing in the world to me. Like, if <laughs> You never see mattresses in the road on 101. You see mattresses in the road on 680. You never, ever hear about that kind of stuff. So anyway... It, like you said, check out where you're going to live before you live there, because uh, you, you may decide not to live there. Yeah. Go ahead. I've, cer- I've certainly seen the traffic get a little bit worse as uh, the economy's gotten better. Okay. Anything else you want to bring up? Uh, we got about 30 seconds to a minute. Well, um, I'm looking forward to this spring. Let's see what happens. 30, 40% of sales happen between now and June, or the end of June. Okay. I'm looking see forward to June. This is a big... Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this kind of buying season. See what what uh, the Fed and everybody else is predicting is if it's going to come true. School season ends, families uh, say, "Okay, school's over. Let's go move, or let's move into a neighborhood that's got a good school system." So you're right, a lot of action this time of year. It's Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Drop him an email, Tony at BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's the mortgage guy on this show. You have to have a team of financial professionals. You know who I like for, for financial planning? Chad Burton. You know who I like for mortgages? Tony Mendez. I give the big picture of financial personal advice on Money 101 type issues. You can find me at robblack.com.
Rob Black talking all things. Find me online at robblack.com. Joining me now from International Business Times, Max Willens. Max, how are you? I'm great, Rob. Good morning. Now, your press person told me that you're just getting back from South by Southwest. How was it? I'm actually still in South by Southwest, uh, going heading into my second week here. Uh, it was great. I the interactive session wrapped up earlier in the week, and uh, it was my first time down here, and I was struck by how pronounced the presence of uh, marketers was down here. I mean, when people think of South by Southwest, I think they tend to think of a place that's dominated by music and musicians, or uh, kind of bleeding edge technology and startup kind of culture, but everywhere you looked, there were lots and lots of brands pouring lots and lots of money into activations looking to sort of tap into this audience that's down here, and I thought that that was very interesting. Yeah, that I saw something pre-South by Southwest in the media where <clears throat> McDonald's was refusing to pay a band. They're like, well, we're going to give you the worldwide audience, and the band's like, well, we get paid to play, and Ultimately, McDonald's caved and paid them, but <clears throat> you're right. It's, it's a lot more marketing than we would assume. Um, and also, I saw a story come out of South by Southwest that people were protesting robots. And you and I are going to talk about an article you just did for International Business Times, ibtimes.com, about robots. Sure. So I came down here uh, looking to find out a little bit more about how automation uh, has made its way into the news business. Uh, earlier in the month, a company called Automated Insights announced with the Associated Press that it would begin uh, using a tool that it had built called Wordsmith to write uh, recaps of college sporting events, college uh, baseball, college basketball eventually. And uh, so I came down here thinking that it would be nice to find out more about how pervasive this really is. And the thing that I thought was very surprising. It was to find out that it's really rather widespread. If you factor in uh, people using tools like CrowdTangle and DataMiner to surface stories that they think will perform well on social media, you're talking about really some of the biggest media companies in, in the country using using tools uh, in to automate uh, a lot of the news business that we you know we all consume on a daily basis. Why do we care? about robots that can write, is that literally going to put a writer out of business, or is it more in historical concept, concept of the importance of it? I think that the first thing that anyone ever talked about uh, at the panels down here was the idea that this is not threatening anybody's job security right now. I mean, right. a lot of the, the stories that a robot can write currently, a, a program like Wordsmith, uh, they re require what's called structured data, which means, you know, rather than uh, being able to analyze lots of text or lots of complicated things, it really almost needs information that it can find in a spreadsheet. And so it writes things like earnings stories um, that are, you know, uh, basically the bane of any finance or uh, business journalist's existence, um, recaps which sports writers um, tend to really hate doing because they are very stressful and you don't have a lot of time to think about what it is that you're writing. And really, at the moment, um, a lot of companies are basically framing the automation of news writing as something that will free them up to do stuff that's more involved, to report stories more thoroughly, to call more people on the phone, to 
dig a little deeper into what they're, they think is important. And so at the moment, it's, these developments aren't costing anybody any jobs. They're just generating more content and freeing up more bandwidth for the people that are uh, generating news. At the bottom of your article, um, and I'm looking at IB Times at this point in time, at the bottom of the article is a couple of links to some other stories. And one of them is, in fact, robots will write NCAA stories for the AP. Another one is demonstrators march to stop the robots. So even if it's not yet, the robots are going to be taking over these jobs. We've done stories this week where a big entrepreneur in the Bay Area thinks that, uh, you know, software will eventually replace some doctors and software will eventually replace some lawyers. Mm-hmm. So you're not really feeling the anti-tech movement down there? You're seeing people embrace it? I think people are, are pretty pretty in favor of it. It was funny. Okay. Earlier in the week, there was a uh, what looked to be a protest of uh, people basically marching around, chanting things like, stop the robots, delay the singularity. We don't, we, there's too much automation and, and creeping into every part of our lives. Uh, and it turned out that that was actually just a viral marketing stunt. Uh, I think generally speaking down here of, of this, uh, of automation creeping into anything. And, and to pivot back to journalism as well, I mean, I think that there is a possibility that uh, as robots get more and more sophisticated, they'll be able to synthesize different kinds of information. But I think that the core uh, function and the core job that journalists do is they they show up, they, they've go to the crime scene or they, they speak to the people that are involved in a breaking, uh, developing story. And that's something that robots are many, many, many years from doing. So I think that as a general rule, <clears throat> journalism is safe for now. I'm looking at some of the other articles that you've written for the International Business Times, ivytimes.com, and people can go to the website. And I think the writing that IB Times kicks out is some of the best in the business, if not the best in the business. Um, by searching your last name is Willens, which uh, kind of sounds like Williams, but don't get confused. It's Max, W-I-L-L-E-N-S. One of the stories I'm interested in you to talk about, if you could, is a real-life medical tricorder inspired by Star Trek shows up at South by Southwest. What's that all about? So this was something that was has been in the works for about three years uh, and we'll, we'll probably also be seeing quite a bit more of this and. Uh, coming year, uh, a company called Qualcomm, which um, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with, they, they build microchips, uh, recently developed something called XPRIZE, which is sort of a uh, competition that they hold periodically to try to incentivize companies to work on and develop crazy technology and crazy ideas and things that might, it might not seem like there's an obvious market for them. And so what XPRIZE put out a call for was for uh, medical device technology companies and the like to essentially build something that's like the tricorder in Star Trek, which um, for the non-Trekkie uh, listeners that you have is basically a, a handheld device, looks a little bit like a cell phone or a barcode scanner that you could wave over a person's body and it would essentially detect illnesses or a person's general health and vital statistics. And so uh, XPRIZE just said, we're, you know, coming into the 20th, we're well into the 21st century. Let's see this. Let's see someone build something like this. And 
a company called CloudDX, a Canadian company, uh, one of the ten finalists, uh, unveiled its best shot at a, at a tricorder, essentially, uh, earlier this week. And it's pretty impressive. It's not quite... It doesn't have the wow factor of a tricorder. It's not really a handheld device. It's more of a wearable thing, but it can monitor uh, five separate extremely important vital signs. It can diagnose 15 different uh, medical conditions or diseases just from a person wearing it. And they're hopeful that this is going to be something that people will look to use in the long term to monitor their health and and avoid potentially life-threatening conditions arising. I love it. Anything else you want to bring out about South by Southwest while I still have you on the line? I basically I think the one thing that's really interesting if you're really interested in the music side of uh, the festival is the amount of attention and interest that's being paid to licensing their songs and their music into films and television commercials and things like that. I just did a story that went up yesterday actually about this. The If you look at the programming that goes on at the, these festivals with panels, you can kind of get a sense of what the industry is thinking about, what it's preoccupied by. And this year, far and away, the biggest category in the music section has been about licensing songs into film and television. And I think the reason this is happening is the amount of money that an artist can reasonably look to get from selling their music either as CDs or vinyl records or digital downloads is drying up. The number's been going down for years, and it's, it's not going to go back up. And streaming, even though it's growing all the time, is still a, an income stream, I guess you could say, where you're talking about fractions of pennies. And for most artists who aren't you know, on the maybe Justin Timberlake or Lady Gaga level, sure. they're not seeing enough micro-pennies to make it work for them. But if you wind up getting your song into, say, an episode of Grey's Anatomy or onto a, an ad for L'Oreal or something, you're talking about a payday in the tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars, and that's, that's real money. It's, it's not something you can bank on, but it's certainly something worth shooting for, and the opportunities for that are growing all the time. And I thought it was interesting to see that more and more musicians are turning their attentions to those uh, income opportunities. Very cool, and one good example of that is the Bleacher song um, that's out there all over the commercials, Roller Coaster. Thanks very much, Max Willens from International Business Times, ibtimes.com. His last name is Willens, W-I-L-L-E-N-S. You can tell he's a really smart guy. He can write a good story. Check him out at ibtimes.com. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Earlier this hour, I was talking about women and how they need to save more money than men because ultimately they make some life decisions or life decisions 
that seem to play out for women seem to be a little more unlucky than men. They live longer than men. They need more money than men because they live longer than us. So average woman lives to 86. Uh, average man lives to 84.3. Uh, men tend to marry a little bit younger, which creates you know a longer period of time of supporting themselves. You know, my father passed away 20 plus years ago. My mother's still alive. Not living good, but still alive. And she still needs money to pay bills and put food in her belly. Women save for retirement more aggressively than men, but because they earn less, their efforts amount to less in a nest egg. A lot of women never learn financial literacy. It's I always love the dad who puts his daughter in T-ball. Love it. Because it's basically saying it's a unisex world. Love it, because I think we do live in a unisex world. So only 27% of women report taking control of their financial and retirement planning because they rely on their husbands to do it because men like doing that kind of stuff. Budget, budget, budget. Oh, you spent so much money on blah, 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 blah. Um, a lot of women take off time to focus on family, whether they're taking care of their mother or my mother. You know, they take care of the husband's mother. Like, they take care of their own kids. Um, aging parents put a lot of strain on families. So... Going further into some reasons that women need to be better savers than men is that you know, about 30% of mothers with children under 18 do not participate in the labor force. Um, just about 7.2% of men do. It's always cool to see that dad who was a stay-at-home dad. Because it's like, wow, it's a unisex world. <laughs> like, it's great, right? Um, there's spousal IRAs that a lot of people don't know about that can help fix some of this. 57.5% of women feel financially responsible for their children, their parents, and their spouse. Women need to make sure they leave something for their kids and it's in their head. Um, so women think about others a lot. A good friend of mine is bought a Maserati. My Maserati does 185. I lost my license. Now I don't drive. Really dreadful. Was it really dreadful? Um, Joe Walsh does a better version of that than me. I mean, Joe Walsh is so whacked out on drugs. Um, he did it better than me. So, can we get an example of my Maserati by Joe Walsh from the Eagles to compare the two? Because I think I stack up okay. So, women think about others a lot. And women... And men ought to prioritize savings for retirement over other financial goals, such as their kids' college funds. You know, when you're watching the basketball game or when you're watching television, they're like, a baby comes on, and it's in like a tire, and it's like a Firestone ad that's like, don't drive around on unsafe tires, your baby might die, is the message. The same thing happens with like Fidelity retirement accounts. Have you ever watched like uh, retirement account commercials? They'll be like, you have a baby. And look. Now he's playing t-ball. And look, now he's going to prom. And look, now he's going to college. You should open up a 529 plan now for your child. No, no, no. You should max out your, your 401k. You should max out your retirement savings for you. And then save for your kids. Another mistake people make, spending too much money on healthcare. Healthcare costs tend to be higher for women than they are for men throughout their lives, especially in later years. Out-of-pocket medical spending for women age 65 and older totaled $2,700 per person in 2010, 31% more than average. $2,000 spent by men of the same age. So 
So healthcare cost. Women spend more on healthcare than men. That's not even getting into because they have babies. Like, is that really that? We're going to hold that against them? Um, yeah, I guess we are. But they also spend a lot more on long-term health care because a long-term care agent is going to look at me and, let's say I have me and a spouse who's five years younger than me. He's going to say, well, he's going to die before her because statistics say so. She's going to live to 86. He's going to live to 83. So we don't really... We can we can give him a lower rate than her. She's going to use it. He's not going to need long term care. Another area where women get kind of not hosed. I don't want to use that word. Another area where it's messy for women is the divorce. On top of the emotional turmoil of Indian marriage, there's divvying up the assets, and a lot of women on the East Coast, not so much on the West Coast. West Coast, everything should be split in half. But a lot of women on the East Coast are like, my kid, we need to keep him in the school district. I'll, I'll take the house. The house is worth $500,000. And the 401k is worth $500,000. Honestly, the house should be sold and the 401k should be split. So there's people out there like a certified financial divorce analyst. There's arbitrators and mediators divorce mediators, which I prefer much over divorce attorneys. In California, it's a no-fault state. Your spouse could have 20 affairs. She could be on video. She can, like, she can mock you. She, and you're not going to win. You don't win anything in the state. Like, divorce, it's, it's no fault. You don't get extra. So I think a good divorce mediator is the right way to go lot cheaper than an attorney. But just pretend like, go like this. Ooh, I could spend 30000 He could spend 30000 I know a guy who spent over $100,000 on a divorce. $100,000 on a divorce. Just because he wanted to argue every little point and not talk to her. Lawyer loved it. No Joe Walsh. Anyway, you can find me online at robblack.com. You can find CFP Adverted at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Take a break here. Right by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.